0: Mac Power Users, episode 309, MPU Live for February 27, 2016. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. Hi, Katie. How are you today?
1: Hey, David. I'm great. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on kind of an odd day, those of you who are with us live in the chat room and accommodating our wacky schedule.
0: Yeah, we moved it around a little bit. There's goings-ons, but but we are doing MPU live. It is Saturday morning, and we have a guest with us today. Welcome to the
2: show, Dan Frakes.
0: Thank you for having me. Dan, was, I, I don't know why we haven't had you yet.
2: I mean, we yeah, should have. I it it feels like I I it feels like I should have. I have been on before. Let's just let's say that you've been around a long time. I've been around a long time. Let's yeah. pretend. Let's pretend I've been on a bunch of times. Yeah. Dan well, was anyway.
1: kind enough to invite David and I to come present at a few panels um, back when Dan was at Macworld. Um, and now you are at one of my other favorite sites, which is the Wirecutter, which is kind of the definitive guide for um, tech and other fun things, because it's not exclusively tech. You you guys have some interesting guides, but other fun things that you should buy. You kind of do a uh, an all-inclusive, it, it's kind of like consumer reports, but for fun stuff.
2: Yeah, we we like to say we're kind of the modern consumer reports, but keeping in mind that we actually love the consumer reports people too. So we actually know them, they know us, and um, we're just a, sort of the online consumer reports, I guess.
1: Right. Yeah. You know, a lot right. of people say that when the wire cutter does a, a write-up, they just buy whatever the, the recommendation is. I, I recently was looking for a thermos and I said, well, you know, I'm just going to go over and, and see what the wire cutter recommends and bought a thermos for my coffee. And it was like, eight hours later, and there's steam still coming off my coffee.
2: <laughs> is that the or- that That's the one, yeah. Uh, yeah, right. Well, you know, that's that's our plan, right? Is that we, if you read one of our guides, you see the guide, and it's like, you know, 8,000 words, and it tells you every reason that that, that we've picked this and all the comp- competition. But the idea is that, like, you read one or two of our guides, and you're like, okay, they, they're serious about this. And then the next time, you just say, I'll just buy with her, <laughs> whatever they... And it's not just readers. We do the same thing, right? We just we go into our chat room. We're like, okay, what's our pick for this? I need one. And they tell us and we buy it. So we're our own best customers, which probably isn't great for our own revenue, but it, <laughs> um, or our own pocketbooks. But, uh, but uh, it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun. We do, we have sort of gadgets, electronics and outdoor stuff on the wire cutter. And then we have the sweet home, which is housewares, um, appliances, things like that for your home. Right. Yeah. I wanted
0: to mention the sweet home. Cause I just, just last week I needed a new um, garden, uh, watering can for the garden. And uh, this one on Sweet Home, they had one recommended, push the button. It showed up from Amazon and it's awesome.
1: Did they have Uh, one that was made out of a Stormtrooper helmet? Because clearly that's the one you need.
0: If they did, I would have bought it. That would be pretty cool. The ongoing saga of my backyard is I realized that what's missing now is a moisture evaporator. I need to build my own moisture evaporator. So if anybody out there has plans, please let me know. (laughs) Wow, that's hardcore. I'm thinking, you know, some PVC, I could probably pull it off. <laughs> anyway, well, that's not the reason we're here today though.
1: Yeah. Before we get um, too far afield, Dan, you wrote an expansive article recently that has come out on the Wirecutter and we're recording the show about a week early, so it it's now been a couple of weeks old by the time this this po- publishes a podcast, but about a subject that we've all talked about and there's been a lot of urban legends about, but you really dug in and got to the science of what can we really do to extend battery life on our phones? And obviously with the show and our audience, we'll probably talk a little more about iPhones, but you talk about iPhones and Androids and, and those types of things. Tell us a little bit about how this came about.
2: Well, we do a collaboration. It's sort of a regular thing now with the New York times. And the idea is that their tech, uh, I think it's uh tech fix in their personal tech uh, division, tech fix column, Brian Chen, who, interestingly enough, used to be a Macworld and is now the Times tech columnist. Um, We work with him and we try to cover a topic that is of general interest. So we did one on getting better range out of your home Wi-Fi network. And then if you can't get enough, which router to buy. And so this was sort of the second one in that series. And it kind of came about because we all go on Facebook and we see all these articles that say, hey, make your battery last longer on your phone. And you read them and you're like, that doesn't work. I know that doesn't work, right? And so we said, why don't we figure out what does work? And that's where this came about. So we did, we've probably spent a good two or three months, not straight through, but over the course of two or three months, we tested on a whole bunch of different phones, all these different things that we've seen or we know work or don't work to try to get um, not only just an answer, but in some cases, like real numbers on how much is this going to save you if you do this? and so. Uh, the Times published a short version, sort of an abridged version that was here are the top things. And then we published the, we call it the director's cut on wire cutter.
1: Awesome. How do you test these things? I mean, I've seen some of the wire cutter guides for, you know, testing waterproof camera cases and, you know, testing all kinds, you know, all weather boots where you really do some crazy experiments and go in depth with things to test them. How do you objectively test battery lives on the phone?
2: Well, the the hardest thing with a lot of these tests is just is just controlling factors. So, if we're trying to figure out how much say um I'm trying to think of a good example, like how much email push versus fetch email works, we've got to make sure that nothing else is is affecting the battery life at the same time. So, you just got to do a te- like a separate test for everything you're testing and turn off everything else and disable everything else so that you're only testing how much that particular thing affects the battery. So that's part of the reason it took us so long to do is because for every one of these tests, we had to kind of control for all the other factors. Uh, But then it's just a matter of looking at, you know, testing the the battery level of the phone before and after the test uh, and making sure that, that what you were testing is really what was, you know, what you wanted to show.
0: How long did it take to set up all those tests?
2: It depends on the test. I mean, some of them were were relatively simple, where we're trying to say, okay, how much is during regular use of the phone? How much is putting in airplane mode gonna gonna save you? Because there, you want to say, okay, what's regular use? Just keep on using it for the over the course of the day, like you normally would, and see how much it affects. But for things like email, we we had to we want we set up a bunch of accounts on a test phone, and we set up iFTTT scripts that would send you know messages every so many minutes. To To try to um, emulate like what would happen if uh, if someone got a lot of mail over the course of, say, two hours. But we had to make it consistent so that when we did the next test, they were getting the exact same messages, the exact same number, the exact same frequency. So yeah. some of those took a little more time than others.
0: Well, uh, from beginning to end, how long did the research project in total take?
2: I think we started it um, in November or December. And wow. then, you know, we, we're also working on other guides. So don't get me wrong when we didn't sit there for three, three yeah. months running our batteries down, but, um, but it was a pretty long project and then we would get some results and we'd say, huh, that maybe we should try this too, because that raises an interesting issue. So, uh, then we would come up with new tests. And so it kind of, you know, it kind of steamrolled to the point where we were testing a lot of different things. And that's how the, the article on our site ended up so long because we just kept finding new things we wanted to test.
0: All right, so let's get to the meat. Well, so what are some of the biggest power drains on, on your iPhone?
2: So I, I, I was asked this by someone yesterday, and I, my our, our the not very useful answer is it depends on what you as a person do on your phone. Uh, but in general, the screen uses the most energy of pretty much anything. I mean, the GPS circuitry uses a lot, but it tends to be intermittent. Um, but when you have your screen on, and especially when it's bright, that is the biggest user of energy on your phone. So it seems kind of obvious to say don't use your screen as much or or, or, or turn the screen down. But you'd be surprised, like how many people they're like, my battery is dead by the afternoon. Well, did you spend four hours on Facebook today? Well, yeah, but you know that 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 hurts, right? So um, our the biggest tip we had right in the beginning was don't use your phone as much if your if your battery is dying. But that's an obvious one. Uh You bought a smartphone to use it. So what can you do? And the biggest thing is you can turn your brightness down. Uh, and it's something that when we talked to people, they were like, really, that's going to make a big difference. It makes a huge difference. Uh And you can turn it down manually, or you can just use the the uh, the auto brightness setting on your phone. Uh, a lot of people we know, they never even knew that feature existed, but you know, the auto brightness will, when you're in bright light, will turn the screen brightness up when you're indoors or in the evening, we'll turn it down uh it makes a huge difference it's not as good as if you were to just keep your bright the screen brightness at minimum but it's actually usable throughout the day
1: yeah i've found that i very rarely turn mine up over about half brightness it's, yeah. it's surprising the the screens have gotten so good now that i really don't need to
2: yeah and that's the nice thing about the auto brightness is that if you you kind of can choose a starting level like i this is my my starting point and when it gets darker go below this when it gets brighter go above this so if you really like a bright screen, you can still use auto brightness and just start it at a lighter, at a brighter uh, level. But um, keeping that auto brightness on means that when you're inside, you're not wasting a lot of battery on a really bright screen.
1: Right. A lot of people, you mentioned the Facebook app, blame the Facebook app for having huge battery mm-hmm. drain. I, I, in fact, took it off my phone. Mm-hmm. It, is there any truth to that? Or do you oh, find d- anything in your yeah. in your article?
2: Yes. And in fact, I took it off my phone as well. And now I use, I just use the web app, Right. Uh, yeah. So there was a big controversy a few months ago that Facebook, the Facebook app, while it was in the background was using a ton of, of, of energy. And I found that as well. Like when I would go to the, uh, battery setting screen in the settings app and you, you look to see, you know, which apps are using the most power, uh, the Facebook app would always be up there. And the thing is, I'm not even a huge Facebook user. So it was doing all this in the background. Uh, Facebook publicly stated, they said, we've released an update that fixes this. But people are still complaining about it. And I've still seen with friends who've checked that it's still using a lot. And the Android version has had the same complaints over the last month or so.
0: Now, now are you talking about where they were playing silent audio through the device?
2: Well, that was that was part of the original complaints, you know, a few months back where they were doing that and sort of keeping it alive, kind of. Yeah. So it was always updated. Yeah, right. (laughs) But they claim that they fixed that. But yet the app still is using a lot of energy in the background. Right. Now, did you
0: test, in addition to Facebook, did you test paper? Because that's their other kind of alternative app. Or are so they even we, still su- supporting that app? I don't even know if they're still supporting yeah, it. Yeah, we've got
1: a
2: few.
0: Go it, ahead, Katie.
1: It hasn't been updated since March of 2015, but I'm still using it. But I, I'm not sure I hold out much hope for getting some of the latest and greatest features.
2: Yeah. Well, so we, didn't, uh, we decided early on that we weren't going to test individual apps, partly because You know, we want this article to be evergreen and every time an app is updated, maybe it fixes a problem, maybe it introduces a problem. So instead we talked about, here's how you can figure out which apps are using a lot of energy. And if you find one that uses a lot, then you can kind of decide, Hey, this is something I use a lot. So I'm going to let it go, or I'm going to delete the Facebook app because it uses too much energy in the background.
1: Well, your article goes into much larger depth. You talk about easy fixes and more power user fixes. But if you had to give us maybe a handful, maybe like your top five fixes, what are things that we can do now to get more battery life out of our phones?
2: Well, the first one, like I said, would be turn on auto brightness or just keep your brightness down. Um, The second one, which we were kind of shocked by, uh, is to use an ad blocker. We We were really shocked by that. We did these tests where we ran um a script that would go to a web page stay there for 2 minutes go to a different web page stay there for 2 minutes and it was an automated list that went through about 30 different web pages and we let it run for a couple hours And so just to kind of say okay if you were browsing the web for 2 hours which is a long period but we wanted to make sure that we did it long enough where the results were reliable uh what would the battery usage be and then we installed an ad blocker and literally your the web browser used half half the battery with an ad blocker on or the, to put it the, the 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 more surprising way or the way that's a little has a little more impact is that if you don't use an ad browser safari is going to use twice as much energy yeah. uh, and we were pretty shocked by that because that's a huge amount wow uh, and at android it was even worse actually we used the chrome browser or excuse me the goose the ghostry browser which is essentially chrome with an ad blocker built in the ghostry ad blocker and it was like 70 percent more instead of 50 percent more it was wow. amazing yeah now-
1: Dan, do you have any idea why that is so effective? What is it that's that's happening in the the browser that is using so much power?
2: Well I, I, you know the ads kind of stink right I mean yes. that's that's but well, you know so we've always talked about we always talk about ad blockers in terms of you know are they hurting the publishers or ads how they annoy readers? but there's a lot of energy use there too because when you think about it, a lot of online articles are really just text and a few images and so what's happening is that Surrounding those that text and images are all these ads, and most of them are images. Some of them are videos. Some of them are audio, and they all auto load when you download the page. And so you're actually downloading sometimes two or three times as much data for the ads as you are for the actual content. So it makes sense when you think about it, and when you look at a web page and say, "How much of this is really the content I'm reading, and how much is the junk around it?" Um, but it's just it's nice to have sort of a number there to say, "Wow, it really is having an effect." So whack a mole just does not suck the energy out
0: of me. It sucks the energy out of my phone too.
2: <laughs> right, right. Uh, another one, would, an, an obvious one, would just be to be stingy about how frequently you do stuff that uses a lot of battery. Um, and things like streaming video is one of the most battery sucking things you do because the screen is on, the um, the the internet connection is is live, con- you know, continually. Your your um, graphics processor and your phone's processor are processing the video to render it. And that uses a ton of battery. And so uh, a lot of people we talked to said, oh, yeah, I watch TV on the bus on the way to work. And you're like, well, that's that's 20 percent of your battery right there. Um, and GPS navigation, when you've got your your phone on and the screen on and it's connecting to GPS server, you know, or GPS satellites continually, those kind of things use a lot of battery. And so it's just, you know, maybe you need to do those things, but they are things to be cognizant of. Um, and and the fun, interesting thing about this is that we're techies and we know this. We say, oh, well, of course, don't do GPS off your battery all day. Right. But when we talk to actual, just normal people who don't do this for a living, they don't really stop to think, well, what uses a lot of battery here, yeah. you know, and telling okay. them what streaming video on Netflix is going to really kill your battery. They're like, Oh really? Okay. That's good to know.
0: They don't know the difference between hitting the GPS antenna and just playing music to right. them. It's the same. Right, right. And, and frankly, you can get uh, on Amazon. I bet the wire cutter probably has some good advice about a little cigarette lighter charger and a cable. You know, it's not that hard to right. to, to juice up your phone when you're using GPS. Yeah. and, and or, avoid or, that a, problem.
2: or a USB battery pack, you know, that you just stick yeah. in your bag with it. But you you mentioned music, and that was actually another one that we were surprised by the the numbers was that, um so I mean, everybody's using streaming music today, you know, Google play music, uh, Apple music, Spotify, Pandora. We found that when you stream music, whether it's over wifi or cellular, you're using basically twi- twice as much, if not more battery energy than if the, the, that same music is played locally off your phone. And so one of the things we found was that, you know, you can save a lot of, ba- if you listen to music a lot during the day off your phone, you can save a lot of battery power by downloading that music to the phone and playing it locally rather than streaming it.
1: That makes sense because you're, yeah. you're both accessing the processor and the Wi-Fi or the, or right. the 3g chip or whatever in there. That makes sense. Right.
0: But it's, it's only thing. once It's only once you're downloading it once instead of exactly. know, 500 times. Right.
2: But, but you know, streaming music is the most popular way right now with the latest numbers we've seen the most popular way to listen to music in the U S so everybody's wasting their battery when, you know, when they could be, uh, streaming that locally, or excuse me, playing it locally. So, so that was one of the other top fives we had to say if we had to pick. Like a you know simple things people can do, uh, and then the the another one that was a really big suck, and a lot of people again who are techies know this, but you know normals, if you will, don't is that when you are in an area where there's not good coverage, your phone uses a ton of energy trying to find a good signal and latch onto that signal, whether it's Wi-Fi or uh cellular and especially cellular. It's the case with Wi-Fi with older phones, but with newer phones, cellular is the big hit. So like if you're camping or, or even if you're in like a downtown urban area and the the, the 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 buildings are blocking the signal and your phone is sitting there searching, uh that is going to kill your battery. And so disable Wi-Fi or cellular if you're in an area with a poor rece- poor reception is really going to help your battery last longer.
0: Well it sure would help if Apple could make it where we could do that with a timer. And just say disable, you know, Wi-Fi or cellular for the next four hours.
2: Yeah, or or you know, they've got this new um, Wi-Fi Assist that supposedly says, okay, if I'm in an area with bad Wi-Fi, switch over to to cellular. But people are finding that it's actually doing it more than it should, and it uses the it actually uses more battery. The Wi-Fi Assist feature we found because when Wi-Fi Assist is active, it keeps the 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 Wi-Fi and the LTE the cellular radios active at the same time. And like, cause it's, it's saying, which should I use? Which should I use? And so it actually can use more battery, even if you get a better signal. Wow. Wow. What are some, what are some of the
0: myths out there about battery life that just are not true?
2: (laughs) That was, that was actually the most fun because like I said, originally some of this came about because we would read Facebook posts or things on on, on websites, like kind of link baity articles that said 10 things you can do to fix your battery. And we'd read them and be like, half of them are like, no, that doesn't work. I'm
1: totally quitting all my apps. Right. That's what I need to do. So that's one of them. I'm saying sarcastically for everybody out there who can't read that.
2: I I, I caught you and you're right. You're right. Because that's one of the ones we see most often is, you know, quit background apps. And it turns out that granted is this is sort of like repairing permissions on an old Mac, right? Where everybody said repair permissions all the time. It's going to fix all these problems. When the truth was, is it worked well as a troubleshooting tool, but it's not something you really need to do all the time. What's the same with quitting background apps is that most apps are well behaved in the background. iOS does a pretty good job of, 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 of killing uh, processes or suspending them when they're in the background. So there's really not much energy savings you're going to get unless A, there's an app that has a bug that's using energy when it shouldn't be, or B, there's something that you've given permission to do a lot of stuff in the background, whether that's monitor your location or download data, uh, in which case then you wanted to sort of look at that battery usage screen and say, oh, this app is using a lot of energy. Do I want it to? Uh, But for the most part, you can leave all your apps alone, unless you're OCD like me and sometimes you just want to like quit things, you know, um, you, you should just leave them alone and let the phone do its thing.
1: Right. Any other big myths out there?
2: A lot of them were to do with uh, turning off Wi-Fi or turning off Bluetooth. You know, you see a lot of people say, turn off Bluetooth if you're not using it. It turns out that in recent phones, having Bluetooth on even paired with a bunch of devices uses a negligible negligible amount of, of battery power, even like a Like a fitness tracker, like a Fitbit that is continually syncing throughout the day with your, with your phone. Like it wakes up every hour or two and syncs its latest data. That doesn't really use much energy at all. Mm -hmm. The only thing we found that really uses a lot of battery energy is when you're actively streaming data, like when you're transferring files over Bluetooth or you're listening to music on wireless speakers, Bluetooth speakers or headphones, that does use battery power. And so if your battery is running low, you know, plug in with wired headphones rather than streaming, but you don't have to worry about that. Similarly, you don't need to turn off Wi-Fi uh, to save battery. Today's today's wireless chips uh are actually really efficient. Even when they're searching for a signal, they're they're pretty good. They're better than they were a couple of years ago. And so um it's not going to save you a lot of, of battery power. But what it may do is actually hurt you because uh your phone, especially for location tracking, uses a combination of Wi-Fi and blue or uh, excuse me, and um cellular and GPS. To try to pinpoint your location. And so if you turn off Wi Fi, then the phone has to fall back on LTE and GPS, which actually use more energy. And so you can actually get worse battery life by turning off Wi Fi than by keeping it on.
0: So it sounds like the only ones worth turning off at this point are cellular and possibly GPS.
2: Well, if you're GPS, if GPS uses a lot of battery power, but most apps these days are pretty efficient at using it. They'll just ping once in a while. But if you've got like, say, RunKeeper, which its whole purpose is to track your specific position over an hour long run, that uses a lot of juice. And so, you know, if, if you find yourself, if you're a runner and you say every day your, your battery runs down quickly, then that's probably a big contributor. Uh, and so it's more like check to see what's using your location and see if you really need it to, because some things you really do want to keep your location. So you don't want to just turn off GPS. Um, and then, uh, cellular, again, you really only want to turn it off if you're in an area where there's bad reception, um, unless you're at the end of the day. And that's what like the low power mode and, and airplane mode can do. If you're at the end of a day and you need to last the next couple hours to get back home and charge, then sure. But, um, but I think one key takeaway here is that today's phones are a lot better than older phones at managing things like GPS and LTE and, and Wi Fi and not letting them suck up a huge amount of power.
1: Okay. So, well, Dan, I know we've just barely touched the tip of the iceberg with this, and you've got a much more comprehensive article. Tell people where they can find this and uh, where they can find you if they want to follow you, because you're always tweeting out interesting deals on Twitter.
2: Yeah, <laughs> the, uh, Wirecutter.com is our website. And if you uh, look on the right-hand side at our sort of the latest articles, you'll see the the our our article on um on making your battery last longer, and I'm just Dan Frakes on Twitter. Yeah, and yeah, we'll, we'll put, a put a direct yeah. link
1: in the show notes to this as well. Yeah. great. Hey,
2: Dan, I'm sorry, Katie. Can I? Just, Dan, can I, I know you got to
0: go. One last question. can sure. I help. All right. Uh, what about this new power saving mode on the iPhone? How big of help is it? When should somebody turn it on?
2: So it actually does save a good amount. Uh, we 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 tested a bunch of different phones. Android and iOS and we got up to like 54% better battery life with battery saver mode um enabled the or low power mode as it's called on iOS the the downside is that it really limits what the phone can do uh it turns off a lot of a lot of features that you might actually need and so Apple advertises it as this is your way to get through the end of the day and that's really the best way to use it i actually know some people who they're like oh i use battery low power mode all the time and they're like well but can you do this no i can't do that when it's on so, so if you really don't need your phone to do much more than be a phone uh then sure use it all the time but if you're actually using it as the mini computer that it is it's probably saved better better used to save it uh for uh, the end of the day to get you through if your battery is about to die All right.
1: All right, Dan. Well, we'll let you go because we know you've got a a sporting event to get to. Thank you so much for taking the time. We'll put a link to the article um, in the show notes and uh, we'll have to have you drop by again sometime.
2: Happy to come anytime. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. All right. Take care.
1: Well, we've got a lot more to talk about, but before we do, I want to take a quick break and talk about our first sponsor for this episode, uh, and that is our friends over at Fujitsu. You know, I was just giving a talk this week. Uh, to a group of attorneys about how they can be more productive in their business. And one of the things we talked about was going paperless. And I've got one of these Fujitsu scanners sitting on my desk. And even though we have one of these big commercial uh, copy machine scanners in our office, having that scanner on your desk really makes a great difference because every piece of paper I get, I don't have to get up, I don't have to organize it, I don't have to create a pile. Boom, it just goes in the scan snap. It's digitized. It's taken care of right then and there and then I can get rid of it. Uh, the scanner that I use is the iX500. That is the Mac Daddy of the Fujitsu scanners. It is a full duplex fi- scanner with a 50-sheet feeder. It connects via USB 3, or it can connect wirelessly if you want, and can scan up to 25 pages per minute. You can scan directly to mobile devices. You can scan to your iPhone or Android phone. You can scan to your Mac. And they've got this great paper feeding system. So it's almost impossible to get jams or double feeds. It's going to sense it and give you a warning And they've got wonderful software. So you can scan to just about any cloud service. You can scan to email. um, You can scan to network drives. You can scan to local drives. Whatever you want to do, Fujitsu can do that for you. They can also OCR the software for you or the uh, paper for you as it goes in. And with today's computers, that's pretty fast. You might as well go ahead and get those documents OCR'd so that they can become searchable Um, There's also the smaller scanners. They've got the S1300i, which is a smaller version. It's portable, doesn't do quite as fast. It's about 12 pages per minute, but great if you're looking for something that you can stick in a shelf or don't quite have as much desk space. Um, And of course, they've got the iX100, which is the ultimate in portability. This is great if you're scanning on the road or you need to take something into a meeting. Um, It can scan a single page at 300 DPI in just about five seconds. It will fit in a glove box, a backpack, or a briefcase and it weighs only 14 ounces. It's USB-powered and will scan wirelessly to your Mac, PC, or your iOS device. And, of course, it comes with all of that great Fujitsu software. You can find more information, and we've got a new URL for you, at um, budurl.me SSMPU, and that stands for ScanSnap MPU. You can also find the link in the show notes. And thanks, Fujitsu, for your kind support of Mac Power users.
0: So, Katie, we did a show on email this month and we got a lot of feedback on it.
1: Yeah, people have some opinions about email, it turns out.
0: Yeah. So let's let's, let's hit some of them. Andrew uh, actually sent in an audio comment.
1: Yeah. And I figured that'd be a good way to start this segment out. Andrew sent in an audio comment, um, kind of walking us through his workflow. And he uses a couple of different apps, um, many of which we didn't have an opportunity to cover. So here's Andrew.
3: Hi, David and Katie. This is Andrew Myers. And you can find me blogging and podcasting at andrewmyers.me. I wanted to send in some feedback on your latest show about email and to share kind of my workflows and apps for that. Um, On the Mac, I really like Mailplane uh, because it's uh, kind of a Gmail-specific client on the Mac. Um, And because I use Gmail at work and at home, um, it works really well for me. Um, And it's got some nice features. It's basically like a site-specific browser for getting to your Gmail, um, but with some native Mac functionality. So it's it's a good option for Gmail. um, And I like having my email clients kind of live outside of my main web browser. Um, I've also been testing out Polymail and it's at polymail.io and it's kind of an up and coming. It's really just in, in beta right now. Um, but it's kind of a, I would call it a replacement for Mailbox or going back to, um, our beloved Sparrow, uh, mail for the Mac. Um, it's, it's really clean, has kind of the snooze, defer, um, send later. And it's also got email tracking built in, um, uh, straight off, so you can uh, track each email that you send and see who opens it. So that's a really cool feature. Um, there's a Poly Mail beta for the iPhone as well. And on the iPhone, I use Spark by Readle, and I my favorite's kind of the cleanest client I found for email on the iPhone. Uh, so th- thanks for your great show, and uh, thanks for the opportunity to share some feedback.
0: You know, you know, in hindsight, I kind of blew it with that show. The um the the outline was too broad and um. We almost should have just taken a very small piece of email and hit it right. Cause because of the breadth of it, it should have been broader and should have been narrower at the same time, if that makes any sense. So I, I feel like we didn't really cover Gmail that well. And it's nice hearing from Andrew's uh, workflows as a Gmail user.
1: Well, the good news is that means we can do many, many, many more shows <laughs> on email.
0: I could. I mean, I like even just like we got some tips on Apple Mail that we should have covered that we knew about, but we just we just didn't give it enough time. And yeah, I don't know. Anyway. Have to rethink how we do that next time. Um, so, but one of the problems was um, getting exchange blocking, and we heard from Adrian and others, frankly, about that. Where Katie uh, was talking about how she got blocked uh, her Outlook app for iOS. Um, the uh, it depends on different locations, but um, a lot of people wrote in to say that uh, 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 that they a lot of different places blocked the app, and Microsoft purchased Acaply. Uh, back in 2014, but the passwords used in the app are stored in the cloud and Microsoft hasn't altered the architecture since acquiring the team. And that is not a good thing for enterprise. So uh, that's the reason why a lot of people are actively blocking Outlook.
1: Yeah. And I mentioned that my school uses Exchange for their email, but they specifically block the Outlook app, but not the iOS app. And I thought that was interesting. So that apparently explains it. So you and and had mentioned that inline replies weren't necessarily supported in iOS, and that was very frustrating to do. And Craig and many others wrote in to say, well, they kind of are. Um, You can't create multiple inline replies, but if you uh, highlight a section of text in uh, the iOS mail client, uh, just as you would in mail and you reply, uh, it will highlight just that specific section of text to reply. So it doesn't allow you to do interlaced replies, but you know, you can at least somewhat do an inline reply.
0: Yeah. I, and I should have made it more clear, but, but when you really dig into the weeds, there's just always inevitably selecting and deleting and moving. And, and that's just so, I, I, you know, I've been using the iPad a lot for work lately and I'll tell you, that's one of the areas of the iPad that I just feel like needs some thought is how do you select and delete text? It, you know, the long press with your finger get to get that process started It just makes me a little crazy every time I do it. And I know it's not that long, but anytime you have to do something where you look at your computer and you wait, uh, it just seems like it's it is magnified in your brain about how much time you're wasting. And uh, I hope that at some point Apple gives that some some more thought as we move into the future and the iPad tries to become even more productive.
1: I'm not, I think we've mentioned this before, but perhaps not in this particular episode, but John wrote in to say, you know, one thing that can really up your game when using Mail app on the Mac is to create keyboard shortcuts um, and custom keyboard shortcuts. And you can do this in system preferences, keyboard and app shortcuts. You know, for example, you can create shortcuts to archive mail. You can create shortcuts. I believe there's already one by default to send mail. Although you can you can change those around if you don't yeah, like them. Yeah, shift
0: command D, baby, second nature.
1: Right. Um. But John points out that by creating your own, um, and by using the ones that already exist, you can save a lot of time.
0: Yeah. The and one thing we didn't see. This is why we should have done like maybe just an Apple Mail show, but like. There's a whole other area of discussion related to these keyboard shortcuts where you can drag mailboxes to the top row of Apple Mail on the Mac. And then you can use keyboard shortcuts to move and, and view those different mailboxes. So if you get adept at it, you can really do a lot with the keyboard.
1: So Joel sent us in another audio comment. We talked a lot about customizing your notifications for mail and the VIP features and the notified by thread features. But that only offers you a certain level of customization. And Joel wrote in with a hack that honestly I didn't know about that can offer you an even better level of customization for notifications.
4: So here's Joel. Hi, David and Katie. Mail notifications are awful for productivity, and I almost always turn them off. But they can actually be a huge help if there are emails that I'm urgently waiting for. If I can't take the next step with a project until I get an answer from someone, or if I'm involved in an email discussion where it really makes a difference if I can respond quickly, I find myself opening and closing mail to see whether that one item has come in. But it's a hassle to do that, and even just peeking at my inbox can often derail me. On the Mac, the Mail app provides a solution. You can get quite specific about the new message notifications you get by selecting Mail, Preferences, General, New Message Notification. One option that I like using is to limit notifications to VIPs. You two have mentioned this in past shows, how this works for what you might call permanent VIPs, like your boss or spouse. And David's discussed this in his terrific iBook on email. But I have found it to work really well for temporary VIPs. In that case, I'll open an email from someone I want to get alerts about, right-click on the sender's email address, select Add to VIPs, and make that person a VIP just for one day as David Bowie would say. Once the urgent matter has been resolved, I'll remove that person from the VIP list. That's already pretty cool, but I've recently discovered something even cooler. You can make a smart folder in mail and select it as the condition for notification instead of VIPs. The beauty of using a smart folder is that you can include lots of different conditions, like a subject heading, multiple names, keywords that are automatically assigned with the wonderful plugin, mail act on, and mail tags, which account it's been sent to, and this is a really handy one that ties in with the show on managing contacts, membership in one of your contact groups. Again, for more on smart folders in mail, see David's book on email. But you can get really crazy by nesting your smart folders as a way of creating the missing functionality of mixing and matching any all operators. For example... I may have a couple of smart folders, each of which is watching for emails that meet all criteria. For example, subject contains the phrase Henderson report and sender is in group accounting department and the message is sent to my university account. But then I have an overarching smart folder. I call it email notifications that includes my new email in any of those smart folders as well as from any of my VIPs. Once I've set this one catch up, catch all smart folder up for urgent stuff, I go to mail, preferences, general, new message notification again, and I can select my email notification smart folder from the list of all smart folders. None of this relocates my email and if the criteria I've set up miss something because someone, for example, has changed the subject heading in the thread, it still comes into my inbox in the usual way And I'll see it there when I eventually do open my inbox. But the beauty is I don't have to. Hope this is useful.
0: Well, first of all, uh, anybody that wants us in an audio comment where they tell people to buy my books, uh, (laughs) you're going to the front of the line. (laughs) But no, no, this is great. Uh, You know, the one thing that just makes me a little bit crazy is a great tip. And this would really work if you spend the whole day in front of a Mac. But how come, and maybe there's a technology barrier to this how come Apple has this great smart technology, smart folder technology in iTunes and in contacts and in um, mail? And none of that stuff has made it over to iOS. Um, it, it's it's just kind of vexing because like as this great system he has will not work um, when you're out, you know, going getting groceries and that email comes in unless that person is a VIP. And I really wish Apple would, would figure that out. And, and like I said, maybe there's a technology reason why it can't work, but it seems to me like, it, it, you know, it's a it's a set of conditions. The iPhone and the iPad are computers and they should be able to compare um, that list of emails versus conditions. And uh, it would be nice if you could have this, this solution work across all the platforms.
1: Yeah, but I never thought about the idea of setting up a smart folder to do notifications. This gives you a lot more granularity when you're sitting at yeah. the Mac, you can still have your normal VIPs on your iPhone, and that's going to catch a lot of important things. And you can still have your normal thread notifications on the iPhone, and you can still set those separately. But now you've got, if you're willing to take the time to set up something like this, you've got a lot more granular control on the Mac.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and, the, and granular is the right word, because there are so many conditions you can set on that. In fact, I, I haven't looked at, while he was talking, I was thinking, well, it'd be interesting to set up one that has the name of a file and somebody that you've had an email with in the last two days or something. So they could like age out of the smart folder just because the, the amount of communication slows down. Um, anyway, uh, we've got more on email, but let's just take a quick break and talk about our next sponsor. And that is our friends over at the ministry of supply. I mean, I just love that name. Anyway, everyday clothing should be smarter by now. You know, the shirt you buy now is probably the same shirt your father or your grandfather bought. And it should be, but, you know, times have changed and technology has improved and, and your shirt should be designed for a body in motion, not this static mannequin. Uh, so uh, that's why the Ministry of Supply exists. You know, the only way you can truly feel comfortable in the clothes is if they're designed to work with our bodies instead of against it. And the Ministry of Supply is, uh, makes professional menswear and they launched it out of MIT four years ago. Uh, they make polished business clothes that are engineered by MIT-trained engineers to provide technical benefits like body temperature regulation to keep you from getting too hot or too cold, sweat-wicking fibers to keep you dry, and stretchable fabric to allow you to move freely. I mean, this stuff has been going on for a long time with, like, fitness wear. But why wouldn't it be the stuff you're wearing all day? And the Ministry of Supply has licked this problem. Uh, it's the most tech-forward dress shirt, you know, the Apollo. That's what I have. Is made with. It has moisture breaking fibers. Um, it's the same stuff that NASA used to uh, make astronauts cool in space. So I have to appreciate that. I feel like I'm a little bit of a spaceman as I'm going around dressed up. Uh, it also features a light knit construction for breathability and four-way stretch mobility. Um, uh, they did a study on this stuff, and the Ministry of Supply study found that the um, they are fifteen time their fabric is fifteen times more breathable than hundred percent cotton dress shirt. And I bet you that's probably what you're wearing right now if you're doing this stuff. Uh, all their clothes are easy to maintain and wrinkle resistant. You can wash and dry them at home. And I, I can't get over this because, you know, I, I don't have to wear a dress shirt as much as I used to, Katie. That's one of the nice things, right? If I don't have meetings that day, I don't put on, I don't suit up. So uh, my dry cleaning bill went down. And then now that I've got these Ministry of Supply shirts, it's going down even more because I'm just washing the shirts. I, I'm pretty sure the dry cleaner is going to forget me. Uh, anyway, it's, it's great stuff. And if you, you find yourself wearing dress shirts, I really encourage you to go check these out. Just get one of them, and I promise you'll end up buying more. Um, uh, it, a, a funny thing about this, it's one of our only sponsors that actually has retail stores as well. So uh, you can buy the administrative supply stuff from them online. And if you go to their website, it's, uh, I believe, administrativesupply.com slash Mac power users. Okay. So that's the magic link, com slash Mac power users. Use the code MPU and you get 15% off the first purchase. Okay. 15% off. Um, Or if you go into their retail shops because they have them, uh, just tell them that you heard about it on our podcast and they'll just give you 15% off there. Just say, Dave sent me. That's all you have to do. Uh, so, thanks so much, so much to the Ministry of Supply for supporting the show and making my great new shirts. I'm totally hooked. I'm going to be switching to all of them now. And um, thanks for your support of MPU and Relay FM.
1: So, Martin wrote in about creating catch all email addresses. And he, this is something that I think is fairly unique to Google and Gmail accounts, if you've got a hosted Gmail accounts. But he does this so that most of his spam is filtered out. So for every service that he subscribes to, he uses a unique address. So for example, um, Facebook would be facebook at domain.com and the newsletter of the local store would be whatever the store name is at hisdomain.com. And again, he's using Google to host his email. And that way, if someone misuses his email address or resells it, then he can simply create a filter to trash all the mail that is sent to that particular address and he knows the source of where the person got his email from.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I, we didn't talk about spam. See, we didn't really talk about spam at all in that episode. There's so much about email. Yeah. Uh, and Mark it Brooks. sounds
1: like um, we're getting follow up from Doug in the chat room who's saying FastMail will support this as well. So you may want to check and see yeah. if your your mail provider supports it.
0: That'd be nice. Uh, Mark wrote in about print to PDF on iOS. And I I talked about the missing save as PDF function in iOS. And um, he says there is now one for 3D touch devices. Go to the print function and force touch the preview thumbnail. And uh, then it jumps into the preview pages where you can send it to all the usual PDF apps and destinations like Dropbox. That was golden. Thank you, Mark. But how come it seems a little roundabout
1: way to do it, though, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, this feels like, you know how sometimes I think there's features at Apple that some engineer personally wanted to put in the operating system and thought if he did it in a way that management didn't realize it's there, it would sneak through. This feels like one of those. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's that's golden. So if you've got the iPhone 6S and assuming, you know, going forward, all the new iPhones are going to have the 3D touch, there is a way to do it. But it, it actually requires still quite a few quite a few taps you know you've got to go to the print and you've got to do this i mean it should be just in there should be a sharing button in in apple mail and every year when we go to wwdc and they announce all the new features um one of the ones i just every year i'm like okay this will be this has to be the year apple mail gets the sharing button and i think i've been saying that for like five years now
1: well that's not fair because the sharing feature hasn't been out that long
0: well, since the sharing, well, when the sharing feature first came out, whenever that was, I'm like, oh, well, it would be an Apple mail naturally. And it's not. So every year since then, I've been saying, please, please just add it. I don't know why they don't.
1: Peter wrote okay. in and said that his university, which is the Royal Melbourne and in- Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology. sounds like a very MIT.
0: Street- RMIT, though.
1: RMIT. Yes. <laughs> um has a very specific policy on emails. Um, and it sounds like they got their policy from emailcharter.org. And I'll put a link to that in the in the show notes if you're interested. There's a lot of good ideas there if you can get people to agree to them. But he says the main lesson that he took away from it is that the recipient's time is always more important than the sender's. I like that. I I think if you just take that to heart, that would be golden. It's kind of like the golden yeah. rule of email is the recipient's time is always more important than the sender's. And so Peter said the idea is that it gets multiplied with each additional recipient who's copied to your email. So if you're writing an email, you have to constantly keep in mind, is this worth bothering people for? If you have 10 recipients on an email, then it's worth taking your time to take 10 minutes to rewrite the email if it takes the recipients each a minute less to read it or not have to ask people to follow up. I, I'm, yeah. I'm going to like get a plaque that says that and put it yeah. on my wall.
0: <laughs> that That's a very good tip. Thanks, Peter. Yeah. Uh, Fred wrote in and scolded me. He said, hey, how come you didn't mention Thunderbird? You know, it's a decent client. It works great with OS X and Linux and it has the one feature important profile. So he's got these free mail accounts for newsletter subscriptions and things. So he's handling uh, kind of junk mail with different accounts with profiles he can group those accounts according to what he's using them for with unimportant profiles he may not check them for a couple of months that's a good way to do it i remember when thunderbird was like the big alternative i mean Mm -hmm. that that used to be the thing and it's kind of it has kind of dropped off the map it seems like all the innovation in email in a lot of ways is um is is on the ios platforms the the mail apps ios generally are pushing the limits more in terms of features and ways to help you manage things than than the mac and that's why none of us are giving as much attention to the mac stuff uh mitch wrote in with a a good audio actually he he what we call it he he sent in an audio comment
5: hi dave and katie this is mitch wagner a couple of hundred feet east of san diego Um, Following up on your email program. I use a couple of tools to stay on top of email. One of them is one that you guys are recommending all the time, SaneBox. It does indeed do a very good job of hiding away the email that can wait and leaving in the inbox the email that it thinks you might want to look at right away. But even that inbox email can be quite a bit of email. And the second tool that I use to stay on top of things is Mail Perspectives. It's from InDev Software, the same guys who do mail tags that you guys like. Uh, And basically what it does is it allows you to pop up a teeny little email window that you can put anywhere on your screen. When I'm working in my home office, I have a big 27-inch display. That's my main display. And then I have my MacBook Air 13-inch propped up to one side, and I keep the Mail Perspective windows on that macbook air and i could just kind of glance at it as the day goes by and see what's coming in my inbox and if it's something i need to jump on right away then i jump on it right away and if there's something i need to ignore or that i can ignore i just ignore it um that works for me pretty well it does require a certain amount of willpower not to go jumping on every single email that comes in and only jump on the important stuff um Per- Mail Perspectives does quite a few other things, but that's really the only one I'm interested in, and it has served me very well for a few months. So, like I said, this is Mitch Wagner, and if you guys are interested in connecting with me, you can find me on Google+, Twitter, Tumblr, or Facebook as Mitch Wagner. Thanks, Mitch.
1: You know, I See think that- Mail Perspectives is the only in-depth plugin that I don't have. I'll have yeah. check it out.
0: Well, I don't have the required willpower that Mitch does.
1: <laughs> uh, that's probably true
0: if I had a little window with all my mail on screen all day, (laughs) it would be trouble for me. I can't, I just can't keep it open, but you know, but that's the problem with email. There's no single solution. Everybody's a little different. And if you like, if you work at a place where emails kind of like a text message and everybody has to keep up with it, mail perspectives is a great way to kind of keep a little like radar up on what email is coming in. I just um, wake up every day and, you know, Thank the Lord that I'm not in a place like that.
1: Right.
0: Okay. Uh, we also got a bunch of feedback on our contacts. So You want to dive into that?
1: Yeah, let's dive in the contacts. So uh. Brent wrote in and gave us a tip about dialing extensions. He said, if you put a semicolon at the end of a phone number um, in iOS uh, contact field, it will give you an extension button to type. When an automated call is answer, it's very handy both for remembering the extension and dialing it when needed. Um, and I guess I'll add a tip with that. I believe the comma will give you a pause. So sometimes you'll get an automated thing that will answer, and you have to you can't immediately put in the extension right away. So I know that when I'm calling my mom at work, I have to pause, pause, and then put the extension in because you have to wait for the little lady, the automatic lady, to talk.
0: Yeah, I am. There's a dent right here on my desk and that's where I banged my forehead against it when this email came in, because how did we do an hour and a half on, on contacts and not include that?
1: Well, um, now we've got yeah.
0: it. And another good way to use that is um if you like, like for conference calls, like when you send out an invite for a conference call to people, um put the, put the phone number with a semicolon and then the, the dial in number the conference call number behind it. And if they're savvy, they'll love it because it just it makes it really easy to to do the conference call. So if you're sending someone a dial-in number, give them both numbers, put a semicolon in the middle.
1: And if they're not, they'll look at it and they say, "I don't have a semicolon button on my phone."
0: Yeah, well, that's okay. Then maybe they don't deserve to be on your call.
1: <laughs> that's probably true.
0: <laughs> Edgar wrote in uh, with a tip for creating labels with Word, and uh, he said, "I've used Microsoft Word for mail merge in Windows to to read contacts and send them to a new file format to print labels." you can edit the names in the new word file you create which is you know if you've got the label template in word that's a good way to deal with it just go in and manually change david sparks to the sparks family you know and um you could do the labels that way
1: in fact after this podcast ends i will be doing that very thing because we're making address labels for an engagement party yeah it's just wedding here all the time now and yeah. um so we've got our Christmas card list that's the starting point for that. And we're exporting that. I think you have to export it into a CSV format to get it to import into Mail Merge with Word. And what we're doing is we're just then going through and editing the, the first line of the address label. So instead of saying you know, to David Sparks, we'll send it to the Sparks family and, and all of those good things. So now that's, that's certainly a better solution, I think, than than handwriting the cards manually. And that's probably what I'll do next year. Although Kelly wrote in with a very interesting solution she found a couple of years ago, and I'll put a link in the show notes that describes this better. But in a nutshell, what it involves is basically creating a custom field in the contacts app with what would you call it? The salutation, the two line, the the very first line of the address. So for David's card, I would have an additional field in the contacts app that says to the Sparks family or the Sparks family. And I could name that custom field like, I I don't know, label greeting or holiday card or whatever. Um, And then when I export my Christmas card list um, in a such way that it can be imported into mail merge, then when I line up my fields in Mail Merge, I just choose that as the name field and and go forward that way. And she put a link, uh, or I'll put a link in the article uh, that kind of explains it further. The The downside of this is you're going to have to go into, you know, you're going to have to create a smart group for all of your Christmas cards, which you probably already have, and then go in and create a custom field for all of them. Or at yeah. least the ones that you want to, I no, I think you're going to have to do it for all of them.
0: Yeah, and that's not, it's not trivial, sadly, right. you know, to setting it up the, um, I, I think there may be, I don't know if there's a show in it, but I know Katie, your your brother's getting married and you're like doing a ton of the, um, there, there the,
1: might be a wedding show. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because you're bringing like, every time I talk to you, you're like bringing all your technology to bear on, oh. you know, getting through this project.
1: We're, we're creating a website. We're doing the address labels. Let me tell you about the video and the music project that we're putting together. Oh really? Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, maybe we'll save that one. I I, I think I kind of want to hear it.
1: Yeah. I, yeah right. I mean, and it involves like, um. And I think I'm going to use Airfoil for this. But how do you get? We're having a big engagement party um, because the wedding is going to be out of state. So the engagement party is kind of like a a reception for the the local people here in Florida who can't travel. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's a big engagement party. So we want to have background music. So, how do we, without like renting a sound system, have you know music at multiple speakers throughout the house and throughout the backyard? Katie's got I'm gonna to figure borrow that
0: my out. Sonos. I'm gonna borrow my Sonos. Uh,
1: maybe it's my excuse to buy a Sonos. There you go. <laughs> um, but I think I can do it with the technology that I already have. So, all right. Anyway, um, we've got more contact stuff to talk about, but m- maybe before we do, I would like to talk about our our next sponsor, um, and that is the folks over at Igloo. And Igloo, you don't have to be stuck at your desk at work. You can manage your tasks from your laptop. You can update your status from your iPhone. Uh, when you're leaving a client site, you can sync the latest version of a file from your home. It's Everything can be done mobile the way that work should be, because if this is the intranet that you will actually like, if you've ever used an intranet at your office and thought, whoever designed this just must hate life, you can rest assured igloo is a totally different experience than anything you'll ever know igloo allows you to make your internet feel like a place that you actually want to be it's surprisingly configurable and you can completely rebrand it to give you the look and feel of your team thanks to group spaces and role based action permissions drag and drop widget editor you can recognize the whole you can reorganize the whole platform uh, to fit exactly how your team works and with our mobile lives Uh, becoming uh, increasingly more popular for people. You can bring in outside apps into uh, companies, manage sensitive documents, and keep them uh, from getting uh, scattered across different platforms. Um, You can do all of that with Igloo because it allows you to integrate services like Box and Google Drive and Dropbox into one big secure platform. And you don't have to worry about things like, uh, you know, understanding 256-bit encrypted single sign-on and Active Directory integrations because Igloo takes care of all of that for you. They deal with all that behind the scenes stuff. Uh, With Igloo, you can just share files with your coworkers, and you can all collaborate on them together. You can figure out who has read something uh, with read receipts, which is super useful when you need to make sure that critical information is seen and everybody is on the same page. So it's time to get away from that intranet that you hate and go sign up for Igloo right now. You can try it for free for any team up to ten people, for as long as you want. So, if you had a small office, you may never pay for Igloo. Uh, if you got a little bit bigger office, try it with a small team, see if it works for you, and then grow. You can sign up at slash macpowerusers That's slash macpowerusers Thanks to so much for Igloo for their support of Mac Power Users and all of Relay FM.
0: We uh, we made some mention of the mail services, and one of them was Fastmail, and I know a lot of people love it. Um, and that was in re- reference to the email show, but Joel wrote in about FastMail for contact sync, And he says, he owns a small business with 10 employees and they use FastMail for their, their email, the IMAP account and calendars and contacts. They use the CardDAV service. And about a year ago, FastMail implemented CardDAV support. With that implementation, the service has really become an all-in-one solution for his company. So they use Mail App for email and BusyCal and BusyContacts for events and contacts respectively. And everything just works using Fastmail as the back end. So, you know, we didn't talk about that really too much, but you can use a uh, third-party contact syncing service. And I think Fastmail would be definitely one worth checking out if if that's what you're going to do.
1: And then we had a couple of people write in to talk about full contact. Um, Both Stephen and Chris had comments about full contact. Stephen explained, you know, David, you were talking about the CoBooks app, And apparently the reason there hasn't been much development there is because they were purchased by Full Contact and Full Contact is in the process of integrating full uh, co-books into their app and service. And Stephen says that Full Contact has a very useful Gmail plugin that allows you to roll up contact information from a person's portfolio of social network sites into Gmail. Uh, And then Chris is a salesman and says that it allows him to follow up with everyone that he hasn't spoken to in the last week. Uh, and he says it has a lot of the features that some of these other contact management s- solutions have, um, except for for a lot of these features, full contact is free. Now they do have a pay tiered as well. Um, and so that if you're missing information from some of your contacts, you can fill it in from some of that information that's posted on the internet. So it may be something to check out.
0: Yeah, it's more than I want. And that's why I didn't really give it, you know, the full run. But the um, I, I just want a way to be able to, because uh, I can access contact contact data very easily. And maybe I should look into this. Maybe I can do it. And I just don't realize with my existing software, you know, um, but the, uh, I just want to be able to assign a contact to a group without having to go do the dance in Apple contacts where, you know, it does take a lot of time to do that. But uh, I'll take a look around. Kobook was a really great way to do that before, but maybe maybe I already have software that can do it and I just don't realize it.
1: While we're kind of on the the subject of contacts, moving a little bit more into voicemails. uh, Greg wrote in with an interesting workflow about managing voicemails on iOS, because sometimes you'll get voicemails that have tasks in them. And once you've listened to a voicemail, how do you get that in your workflow?
6: And turns out Greg's got a workflow for that. So let's listen to Greg. Hi David and Katie, this is Greg and I have got a workflow to share with you about managing voicemails on iOS, something that I've uh, stumbled across recently here. Uh, With either iOS 8 or iOS 9, I can't remember which, it became possible to export voicemails from the default phone app into other applications. Um, Which is great, because sometimes I want to create a task uh, based on a voicemail that I get, and it would be great to be able to link back to that recording so that I have some context if I need to refer to it again when it comes time to to take action on that. Um, But unfortunately, the Things uh, share extension, Things is the task management app that I use, doesn't show up in the phone app. So if you go into the phone app, to the list of voicemails, tap on a voicemail, you'll see the share button in the upper right-hand corner by the information button. And if you tap on that, you'll see that it's a pretty limited Share sheet that pops up. So I turned to the workflow app. So I went over to workflow and I created a four step uh, process here that exports the recording of the voicemail to Dropbox. And I just put them all in a, a folder that I created entitled Voicemails. It grabs the Dropbox link, puts that link on my clipboard, opens up a new task and things with that Dropbox link already in the notes field, and then allows me to enter in the the title of the task that I need to do. So I can I can put my specific action in right there, um, which has been very, very handy. And that way whether I'm on my Mac or my iPad, you know, wherever I am, I can get to that to that file of that recording, which has been great. And because I put all those voicemails into one single voicemails folder. And I'm able to do one more thing to kind of wrap this all, to, all up together. Um, I used Hazel on my Mac to create a rule to watch that voicemails folder and anything that's over two weeks old just gets trashed automatically. Cause if I haven't dealt with it in two weeks, then it's probably come up in some other way, or it wasn't worth doing anything with anyway, or I've got bigger problems than that going on. Um, so that's just a way to, to tie that all together. So I hope that helps. I uh, love the show, guys. Keep it up. Listen almost every week uh, and have a great 2016.
0: Thanks, Greg. That, that was a really good idea. I think voicemails and text messages are are kind of like the outliers when you're getting stuff thrown at you that needs to be acted upon.
1: And then kind of shifting gears again, we I mentioned in, in one of the episodes, I think it was the last MPU live that. I was looking for a way to annotate a a PDF textbook that I had now, and I was struggling with that. And that led to a whole nother slew of things that we'll talk a little bit later more about in this podcast. (laughs) I love the way you say that. (laughs) (laughs) That is completely, totally and utterly David's fault. Um, But Michael had a suggestion for me and um, Michael's suggestion was much more helpful than yours, David.
7: Yeah, that's usually the case. Hello, Katie and David. This is Michael. Uh, from Detroit. I'm a long time a listener and I love the show and thank you for everything you do. Katie had asked about an app for reading and highlighting PDFs and being able to keep the notes. I actually learned how to do this from one of your shows where an anesthesiologist talked about the app papers. Papers often gets only mediocre reviews, but for me, it's absolutely perfect. If you highlight the PDFs as you read them in papers, it creates those highlights as notes. Those notes can then be exported, and you can edit them in any other app you choose. It's absolutely absolutely the perfect way to study. The best thing is that Papers syncs with all your devices so you can pick up reading and highlighting on your iPad or iPhone anywhere. Thanks again for all you do. Thanks a lot, Michael. I it, what that um
0: I have this funny thing that happens to me once in a while where I have a problem on my Mac or my iOS device and I and I can't figure out how to solve it so I Google it. And then I find the solution and it's a a post at Max Barkey that I wrote like five years ago.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So I think this is the
0: first time we've had that experience where somebody said, oh, yeah, the problem you had on your show, you explained how to solve it on a prior show.
1: (laughs) That's that's very true.
0: (laughs) Anyway, yeah, there's so many ways to deal with PDFs. And um, in fact, Katie... You have a particular way of telling PDFs. Yes. Do you want me to go first, or we yes? Want to talk no, I want you to go first
1: because we're gonna we're gonna save mine for last. People are gonna have to listen all the way to the end of the show if they want to hear about okay. my saga. All right. Well,
0: so whoa, 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 whoa.
1: I, I, I have a question for you. Okay. Because normally in the tech we play with section. Uh, we we let each other pick what they want to talk about. But you told me in the last show what I was going to talk about. And so I've decided I have a topic that I want you to talk about.
0: Okay, sure thing, boss. What am I going to talk about?
1: So I want to know about your Amazon Echo, because this is something that I've been looking at for a while. It's been on my gift list. And then lo and behold, you go out and buy one. And it turns out that this is like the thing that the people in our community are buying now. You know, Federico got one, Mike got one. I think Jason Snell got one. Um Dan Morin has had one for a while. It's yeah. like everybody yeah, it's, it's, it the, all
0: goes back to Dan Morin because yeah. he's been writing about it at six colors i had um i had i sold a bunch of stuff to gazelle okay. I and mean, we we went through the house and I actually found an iPad we didn't even know we had you know so <laughs>
1: they're just they're just laying around there at the yeah itself. apparently
0: and um so I sold a bunch of stuff to Gazelle and I always do the Amazon credit when I sell to Gazelle. And the, um, so I had a significant amount of Amazon credit and I felt like being dumb and just buying something. Okay. And I've been looking at these and you've been talking about it. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm ready to give some, one of these things a try. So I, I bought one and I got it about three or four weeks ago. And I'll tell you the truth. when. Uh, so, so the Amazon Echo, for those of you who don't know, it's a Amazon's voice recognized um thingy you know it, it, it's, it's a amazon siri right it's a, it's a little cylindrical bluetooth speaker uh but it, it connects to the internet and it can do a bunch of things for you it, it's a exclusively voice interface device you know there's no screen on it and the way you activate it is and you have to excuse me because it's on my desk so it's it's likely to go off as we talk about it but the you word is Ahoy, Alexa
1: Alexa right
0: yeah well it doesn't matter if you say Alexa it gets going oh, okay and the um and as soon as you say Alexa, there's a little blue light across the top that lights up that says, hey, I'm listening to this guy. What's he saying? So the idea is you can do various services and things um, by activating this Bluetooth speaker in your house. So like a really smart speaker.
1: Now, uh, how you can do... big is it? I'm, I'm finding it hard to figure out the scale from the Amazon site. Is it like sure. the size of two Campbell's soup cans on top of each other or is it bigger than that?
0: Yeah, that's a good. That's about the size, about okay. two Campbell's soup can stacked on each other. Uh, It can do basic things like go on the internet. If I say, Alexa, what's the weather today? And it'll tell me, you know, Um, if I say, you know, so, so it it does things like that, you know, real simple internet inquiries. Um, uh, Alexa, how many days until Christmas? And there there you go. I don't know if you heard that, but it, you know, it does things like that, but it also can connect with things. And Apple you know, historically is not so good at connecting with third party services where um, Amazon has been quite aggressive, like it, it's connected to my automatic. Mm-hmm. So if I say they're writing cantations, it'll tell me how much gas is left in my tank or even where my car is located, you know, so um, it you know it, it's just kind of a catch all little speaker. And the that's interesting one thing about, that has
1: really surprised me. Like, I think Alexa can talk to the Nest. I'm not sure, but I know she can talk to Wemo's. It, which HomeKit, Apple HomeKit can't do. I mean, she can talk to all of these things. Here, here I am anthropomorphizing her that yeah. Siri can't.
0: Yeah, uh, and Alexa like,
1: seems a little bit smarter than Siri.
0: Um, I think she's more bilingual. If that makes sense. I mean, okay. Apple they they've got it in more devices, but then like if you're an Apple person, like. It, the calendar stuff is all connects to Gmail, doesn't connect to Apple calendar. So I, it, she's no use to me for the calendar stuff. And I'll tell you, when I first plugged it in and set it up, I, I kept the box for a few days because I was thinking, you know, I'm not sure I want this thing because right. there's really nothing it does that I can't do with Siri. Um, uh, but it grew on me. And and a couple of reasons it grew on me. The, the, the first one, and this is just the easiest, it connects to the Hue lights uh, very easily and and but the the thing that this does that siri isn't doing yet and i wish it would is it it's just faster you know when i say alexa it immediately lights up and an, and i assume the next word that i say it always gets them right and it always responds to it um using the ahoy telephone command on siri sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't Um, and it works more than it doesn't, but, and sometimes when it does work, there's a slight delay between you saying the words and it start accepting the commands. Um, like even just talking to your watch to set a timer. Sometimes I find that I have to put a little delay in there and it's that little delay that I think makes a huge difference into how effective this technology is. I've got a post kind of half written on this, this device I'm going to put on the internet. I'll get it up by the time the show airs. Uh, but but I think really the, the thing that I like best about it is that it's quickly responsive and very consistent. Um, I, I, you know, I, I kept it in my office, which is in the corner of my bedroom. Uh, I have not put it downstairs, and I'm going to do that for a week just to see if I use it more there. But I find I use it quite often at my desk. And even just walking into the room at night, you know, I can say, Alexa, turn bedroom lights on, and then the lights go on.
1: What yeah, give me some example of types of things that you were doing with Alexa.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm using it to turn lights on and off. I'm using it to um I can add things to my reminders list using if this then that. One of the one of the benefits is it has the if this then that um connectivity. Mm-hmm. So that really opens up the world for you. I mean, you can do all kinds of things then because anything that connects to if this then that, you can command it now with your voice from your little um, Amazon Echo device. Uh, and I can add things to my shopping list. I can add things to my to-do list because it's got two different ones. And I basically rewired it to anytime it gets one of those commands, not to put it in my, because there's an Alexa app on your phone. I don't want to, I'm not going to use an app to track that stuff. I already have a whole system for that. Instead, I rewired it to um, an if this then that rule, which connects to reminders. You know, if this then that connects to Apple reminders. So I can just easily drop it in there that way. Um, I, I don't use it. Um, I I use it to check the weather in the morning. I use it to, um, to turn lights off and on. I use it to add things to my reminders list. I don't, I don't use it to listen to music because I use Apple music and it doesn't connect to that.
1: But you can Um, use it as a Bluetooth speaker if that's just, if you just wanted to stream from your iPhone, right?
0: Yeah. And, and I don't, I don't because I have, um, I have a Sonos in my room, which is a better speaker. Mm -hmm. And I also have a set of speakers on my computer. If I want to listen to there, I just don't use it that way. And I believe it's Spotify. If you have a Spotify account, it can, it can connect to that and, and you can do all sorts of great things with it. Uh, The speaker in general, isn't that great? I don't think, I mean, it's, I guess maybe I'm spoiled because I have Sonos systems, which is our, which are frankly better, better sound. Um, I think it's, I think my even my Sonos Play One sounds better than the Amazon Echo does. Uh, But, you know, it's just a kind of an assistant and it can talk back to you. And to me, Apple needs to be doing this. I mean, now that I've had it around for a while and it's great that you can talk to your phone and talk to your watch and get things done. But just having a device in the room listening that can act on your requests is if you had it, you would use it a lot. And frankly, if Apple had it, I'd probably have one both in the office and downstairs because Mm -hmm. um, it would be more directly connected to my data.
1: I am surprised that Apple hasn't done anything like this. And I don't know, is that not an area that they want to get to? Apple typically lags behind in these types of things. So is it something they haven't gotten to yet? Is it something that we'll see in the next couple of years? Apple did an interesting partnership with Sonos. It was almost a little half-hearted. It felt like when Apple Music launched on Sonos, and I was kind of surprised to see that, given Apple now owns Beats. I was surprised to see that Apple partnered with Sonos on something. And so, what does that signal? I'm not quite sure. Apple just wanting to get Apple Music everywhere. Some kind of future Apple Sonos partnership. I I don't know why there's not a Siri built into Beats, or if they're going to do a partnership with Sonos. Why they're not letting Siri into these other devices. But I Siri is wonderful, but she's also extremely frustrating because 75% of the time, I think she works well, but it's that other 25% of the time that I just want to bang my head against something. You know, the other day I was, you know, in my car and my phone was paired and I raised my watch and said, um, you know, take, um, you know, oh, play this particular song. And I I was sitting at the light. So I looked at the watch and Siri on the watch correctly understood and heard everything that I said. I mean, she interpreted my words correctly, but then a completely but then after a delay of about 10 seconds, a completely different song started playing. And it was just very frustrating.
0: Well, well, one of the the benefits of the Amazon Echo is um, it is very responsive and And I'm sure it's not doing as much as the Apple Watch or the um, or the um, iPhone is, you know, but and they they don't have to worry about battery life because it's plugged in all the time. But nevertheless, it's immediately responsive and that needs to come to the Apple stuff. I mean, I I think the iPhone is pretty responsive for Siri in my in my experience. Right. Always
1: more (laughs) responsive than the watch.
0: Yeah, the watch is not, and and that is an issue. I mean that, and I don't think the problem really gets solved. That's the other kind of thing going around in the tech circles lately is kind of trashing the Apple Watch after having it for six months or whatever. I really like mine. I still really like it, but the hardware is definitely underpowered, and that limits what I can do with it. And it even limits the effectiveness of Siri.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, but, but yeah. So I'm not I'm not gushing over this Amazon Echo thing. It's nice to have it in the room. I'd use it several times a day. Um, you know, was it worth 180 bucks or whatever I spent on it? I'm not sure, but the um, it is fun having it. Like I said, even just walking in the room at night and telling it to turn on the lights is nice. Um, but but it's not. There's there's no functionality in this based on the stuff I do that I that I couldn't replace with Siri. So that's why I almost returned it. I'm like, well, I don't really need this. I I can do this stuff with other things. But I just kind of want to see how it develops. They they continue to add features. And that's another thing that you don't see as much with the Apple end. Oh, it's so very aggressive. They've, it they've gotten
1: something like a thousand different connected services. Yeah. Uh, the The Echo is something that I've had in my shopping cart at Amazon multiple times, but have never quite pulled the trigger. So now I've just got it on my wish list. Maybe somebody will buy it for my birthday or something. Um, I haven't pulled the trigger for a couple of reasons. One, it's a little more expensive than something I want to buy just on an impulse purchase. Yeah. And two, I just keep thinking... Apple's got to be doing something with this and I'll buy it and I'll keep it for six months to a year. And then the Siri version will come out and I'll be like, Oh, now what am I going to do with this?
0: Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, because you never know uh, another thing that it supports really well. And I listen to audible books all the time Yeah, is it plays them and it does it very easily. Um, well, isn't
1: audible uh, now owned by Amazon?
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So the integration is really good. Um, although I don't listen to that many audible books on it because I listen to books when I'm gardening or walking or something. I can't listen to them while I'm sitting here working. Um, but they do have uh, in the in the Alexa application, they have um, this button called skills where all these people, you know, you can get connections to all these different apps and sure companies that, like that. that, you know add services and it's just this huge menu. Mm-hmm. You know, I just I just opened it up while we we're sitting here best picture oscars the last 30 years so you can ask it questions about the oscars. You know, it's just there's there's just tons of these services you can download and enable to it. So it is kind of fun to experiment with it, but it's a um I don't think it's a must have. Right. But it, it is kind of fun and um and I I do think the the one takeaway I have from all of this is uh there must be a, a skunkworks project at, at Apple doing something like this. I mean, forget about the car right now. I mean, this seems like right in their wheelhouse and I'm sure they could build an interesting device like this.
1: All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on it and let us know how you continue to use it.
0: Okay. So um, you want to talk about our last sponsor before we get into your new hardware?
1: (laughs) (laughs) We can. Yeah. I think our last sponsor for this episode is our pals over at one Password. And 1Password has introduced a new, um, what, what? it's not really an app, but I guess it's a service. They've introduced a new service that builds on their team's infrastructure, and that is 1Password for families. So with 1Password for families, you don't have to worry about setting up a sync service. You can just automatically use 1Password within your family members because families are the most important things to 1Password, and they want to make sure that your family is secured. So it's super easy to set up, no sync service. Your family vaults just appear automatically. And then there's an admin console where you can be the admin of your family and invite people and manage the sharing within the families. Make sure that someone doesn't accidentally lose a password. Make sure that the right people in the right groups of your family have access to the passwords that they need. And maybe like your children don't have access to all of the passwords. Every family member gets their own copy of 1Password and they have their own personal space to store private information. So with this, you can give them all the tools they need to stay safe without taking away their independence. And it comes with all the 1Password apps at no extra charge. So you can easily switch between Mac, iOS, and Android without worrying about licenses. And they've got support for Windows coming very soon. So 1Password for Families is a subscription service. And it costs $5 a month for up to five family members. They call it their five-for-five five plan. So it's only a dollar per person every month to keep everybody using safe, secure, unique passwords. What a deal is that? But it gets even better. If you create an account before March 21st, you'll get some early adopter perks. Because they figure most of the early adopter perks are going to be their loyal customers. So they want to give you a little bonus. First off, you're going to get $10 bonus added to your account, which is basically like getting two months free. Second, they're going to give you twice the amount of storage for your documents. So you're going to get a total of two gigabytes to use for your secure documents and one password. And third, and this is the big one, if you've got a little bit larger family or if you want to include your extended family, they're going to give you the ability to invite two more family members for free. So that's a total of up to seven family members And these are permanent additions to your account. So it's really going to be a seven for five plan if you can get in before the early adopter special is over. And again, that deadline ends on March 21st. So why would you want to use 1Password for families, especially if you've already got access to their apps? Well, you don't have to purchase and manage licenses for everyone. You don't have to buy additional licenses when when you add members to your family or for members of your extended family who you want to bring in under this. Um, Everyone gets their own copy And if you change a password, let's say you decide to change the network password, you can update that for everyone in your family, which means they get it all automatically in a secure fashion. It's a very simple setup, and a whole family is covered with one subscription. And you can be the family admin to oversee and manage all of the details and just take care of it so all your family members have to worry about is just having fun and making sure all of and knowing that their passwords are secure. So you can find out more information over at onepassword.com. And thanks to the folks at One Password for supporting the show.
0: You know, that ad read was so good. I, I'm i sold. I'm just going to, I'm signing up for it.
6: Good. You should. I mean,
0: my kids are old enough. They should be using, I mean, my wife is a total convert. She loves OnePassword and what it does for them, my kids, I've kind of left them out of it as they've been growing up because they're kids, right? But they're old enough now. We're going to have to sit down and get them all hooked into the stuff and it's time for them to learn about passwords all right um and also that was actually my read but you read it for me so yeah, thanks you, a lot
1: i think you forgot it was your read so i just jumped. no in i it.
0: was ready to read i said we'll take a let's let you want to do a sponsor first i was going to read it but then he just jumped in i'm like well maybe i'll just have a drink here well, and i thought Katie that do was it my
1: cue all right <laughs> i thought maybe i could just read it and end the show and then we wouldn't have talked about anything else
0: Oh, well, no, we do have to talk about something else there. I, I think we should go back and um and listen to the show where I where the iPad Pro was announced. And I said, I think I'm getting one. And there was the judgmental silence. Mm. And I think this one actually went beyond the uh, patented Katie Floyd judgmental silence to actual mocking me for buying it. <laughs> but um, but then you texted me one day and uh, you said, hey, I just bought an iPad Pro.
1: And it's your fault.
0: And it's my fault. Yes. That's okay. I'm used to blaming. Right.
1: As long as we're clear on. But that. you
0: did buy an iPad Pro. We talked about it a little bit at the end of last show.
1: Uh, well, it's going to be two shows ago it. by the time they listen to this. But yes, we did.
0: Okay, so you, you bought an iPad Pro. I Katie did, Floyd.
1: The, and I will say the jury is still out on it. Um, I, I've got a couple more days to decide whether I'm going to keep it or or whether it's it's going to go back. And I've, I've got some pretty mixed emotions about it. I've, I've, I'm working on a a blog post and I don't know what the conclusion to that post is going to be yet, but uh, stay tuned. You'll find out by the time the show is released, I'll have had to have made a decision.
0: I was just looking at the text messages you wrote me. You said, I just bought an iPad pro. This is your fault. And then I wrote back and said, you're welcome. Yes, you did. And then like within two minutes, you were saying, I may, I may send it back. (laughs) I'm just reviewing it doing my due diligence. Yes. All right. So, so we, you talked already that you got a good deal on it, but, but what, what is the reason why you decided you were even considering using one?
1: Well, there are a couple of reasons why I decided to buy it. Um, uh, the main reason is that so many people kind of in, in our sphere of influence, for lack of a better word, were buying iPad pros and we're loving them. And, and, and as you know, David, and it's true, I had no interest whatsoever in the iPad Pro. I've very solidly been in the iPad Mini camp. I didn't want an iPad Pro. I thought they were ridiculous. I thought they were too big. I, I could not see an iPad Pro fitting in my life.
0: Yeah, but you told me that
1: a I couple did. times. Yes. Um, but people kind of in our, our our world were getting them and they were liking them. So I kept thinking, maybe there's something more to this that I must be missing. Um, and, and I'm really intrigued by the fact that, and I haven't discounted the possibility that you're just crazy, but I'm really intrigued by the fact that you've got an <laughs> I, iMac. We have
0: a show title. Yeah. Just, just let you know.
1: That <laughs> you have an iMac and a, a MacBook and an iPad Air, unless you sold that to Gazelle recently, and an iPad Pro. Oh, yeah, I sold that. And yeah. you can find uses for all of these. So... Yeah. But people seem to find uses for all these multiple devices. I mean, Jason Snell recently wrote a great article on Macworld about you shouldn't have to choose. There can be a place in these. Um, You know, Stephen Hackett, who is famously, you know, I thought he was going to be squarely in my camp. He's a Mac guy um, and and he's loving the iPad Pro. So I thought there's got to be more to this and I wanted to know more about it. And then a couple of about a month ago now, I went to an Apple store and I got to spend about an hour of hands on time with the iPad Pro and I was really intrigued by it even more since spending that hour with the iPad Pro. Um, I wasn't necessarily sold on it, but I kept thinking about it after that time with it. Um, a couple of things that I really was curious about. One is I was looking for a way to use a device and a client meeting to take notes, either typed. And what I liked about the iPad Pro um, is that the on-screen keyboard was full size. So I was hoping that I could be able to type directly on the iPad Pro. Um, because as you know, when you bring a laptop into a client meeting and, you, you know, it's the typical clamshell, you're immediately creating a barrier between you and the person, you know, by having this this screen up and yeah. in front of you. And I did not like the, um, what's it called? The smart cover keyboard for the iPad Pro, because okay. that makes it very laptop-like. Number one, I just didn't like care much for the keyboard, but because the iPad Pro is so big, if you prop it up, and use it with an external keyboard, whether it's Bluetooth or whether it's that smart cover, it still creates that same physical barrier problem. So I was looking forward to either trying taking notes with the pencil or particularly typing with the on-screen keyboard, because ultimately all of our notes from our client meetings end up typed as a note in the file. And if I could type them directly in the meeting, then that skips a step. Um, the other thing, as you know, that I was interested about was working with PDFs because I'm I'm doing that on a larger scale now. I've always done it, but I'm doing it more often. And then the third thing that I was interested in is, especially after I'm done with this master's program, um, which is going to be a couple of months from now, I could see the day where I get rid of my laptop, which is huge for me, because ever since the Titanium PowerBook came out in 2001, I have always been a laptop only person. My laptop has been my primary computer and I've just connected it to an external monitor. But these five K iMacs are are really intriguing. And I can see myself getting a five K iMac, having that be my primary computer, and could an iPad Pro basically be my laptop replacement? So that's what I wanted to try out. And then All right. What pushed me over the edge was the fact that I got a deal on it. It was uh, staples had a deal where they were on sale for 150 bucks off.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you got it. You got the deal and you've got it and you've been using it now for quite a while.
1: Well, about three uh, weeks, about 10 days No, because I have to take oh, it back. Okay. in I, 14 days, of the return policy. So I've gotcha. been using it for about 10 days.
0: Okay, and 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 all of this is in the environment where we know Apple's going to announce or it seems very likely Apple's going to announce a iPad Air size device. Maybe they'll call it an iPad Pro Mini or whatever. Right. uh, That that will probably have pencil support within a month. That's very likely that that will happen. And I'll tell you,
1: that is a big factor that is leaning me towards sending it back.
0: Okay. Waiting and seeing uh,
1: what that device is going to be.
0: Okay. So let's set that question aside for a minute. Let's take a look at why you got it and see if it's satisfying you on any of those, you know, where it's working and not working for those questions.
1: Okay. So um, the
0: first one was, um, uh, what was the first one again?
1: Use in a client meeting.
0: Use in the client meetings. Have you tried that yet?
1: I did. And it did not work well.
0: Okay. And was that the pencil fail, the keyboard, or just everything?
1: Both. I've tried it both with the pencil and with the keyboard. The the on screen keyboard was okay, but it just wasn't good enough. I wasn't fast enough as I was on a normal keyboard. I couldn't keep up, you yeah, know, it's taking a piece notes. Of glass. Yeah, because yeah. it's glass. Um and I found and this is almost funny, I kept hitting the little emoji button. I kept accidentally switching keyboards in the side. Yeah. And and so good. my client notes ended up with all these inappropriate emojis in them.
0: Yeah. Well, sometimes the little poop emoji makes sense in a client meeting. But, it might.
1: Uh, now, is that something that I could probably get better at? I'm sure I could, and I know you had a post over at Max Barkey about how, after using the on screen keyboard with the iPad for a while you've gotten a lot better with it. but you know unfortunately, the limitation that I have is i've got fourteen days you know
0: yeah, okay to now, set it. well you do when you don't I mean you can return it and always buy another, buy it again after you try the next iteration it's okay uh, right. but but i I just want to stay on target here for a minute the uh so and the pencil, why did the pencil fail?
1: The pencil um, was great, but I could still type faster than I can write. I've so always it's been not able to, that
0: the pencil wasn't working. It's just you want text. I uh, want text. Want, yes. Okay. So
1: I would. I would. Lo- what? Here's what I found. I found that I enjoyed using the pencil for certain things, but I still prefer text as my primary input. So would I like an iPad that has pencil support? Yes. But I could see, I don't see myself using the the pencil as the primary input method.
0: Okay, so now let's say you don't use the iPad Pro anymore. You send it back. How are you going to take notes in a meeting going forward? Well, are you going to put the wall up? I mean, what are you going to do?
1: What I have been doing is I've just been using pen and paper. And right. I will tell you that compared to using pen and paper versus using iPad and pencil, and by pencil, I mean the Apple Pencil. Yeah. Pen and paper is a better experience. Yeah. Okay. Um, Paper or pencil and iPad is not horrible, but it's not great. And I think part of that is you're still writing on a glass screen. Um, and, And some of that may be taking, getting used to it. Now, there are a couple of things you could do to answer your question. What I've done in the past, probably the best experience is I've used my iPad mini with an external, like a Logitech keyboard. And that's a pretty good experience because it's a little weird because you've got the two disconnected devices, but you don't have the physical barrier issue.
0: Yeah. OK, so uh, the way I because I it's interesting to hear these things. Uh, I think I'm blessed in the way that I'm not a keyboard um, aficionado. Yeah. Right. I can type on just about anything you stick in front of me. I don't mind the new Apple um the new Apple was it Magic Keyboard or whatever they call it now. The new Apple keyboard that's in front of my iMac. Right. I don't mind the keyboard on the MacBook, which people complain about, and I don't mind the iPad Pro cover. And maybe that's really nice because it doesn't bother me. Um, I find that the iPad Pro with the iPad keyboard cover or Pro cover or whatever they or there's a name for it. I just forget the name of it, but uh, is a really nice combination. It really doesn't add that much bulk. So when I go into a meeting. With a client, I bring the iPad Pro, I have the keyboard attached, and I prop it up. Uh, the angle of it isn't super. I mean, it's kind of laying back a little bit more than a laptop would. And I just keep it to the right. It's like to the side where almost both of us can see the screen, and I sit there and talk to the client. And if I want to write something down, I do. And the other reason this works for me is because I've really kind of adopted Apple Notes. And uh, so for every matter, I have a note open. I just open the note at the beginning of the meeting, and I can add little things to it as we're talking. The other nice way I use it is if the client will start describing something to me, that's like a relationship where I want to diagram it. Mm -hmm. um, I just yank the iPad pro off of the cover and I have the pencil there and I just open a uh, drawing in Apple notes and I just draw it right there in front of them. And then that way it's all captured digitally. So that's the way I've solved the client meeting problem. And it actually works quite well for me, but I'm not, I'm not saying what you're saying is wrong either. I think everybody's a little different on this stuff.
1: I think the problem for me is, and I I tweeted out a picture of this, the physical size of the iPad Pro is almost identical screen-wise to my MacBook Air. I I put the iPad Pro on top of the MacBook Air screen and I actually had to hold it, otherwise the MacBook Air would have fallen down. And it's almost identical in size. So by the time you put the iPad Pro with either an external keyboard or the smart keyboard, it's almost the same size as having the MacBook air in terms of the barrier standpoint. Um, I I mean, I know. Yeah. I I mean, I'm, I I would think that you would actually be a little bit smaller if you took your little MacBook to a meeting.
0: Yeah, it probably would be, but I wouldn't be able to draw on it. And that's true. And the other thing I do is quite often because I do a lot of business law and we, you know, sometimes we're looking at the website of some person that we're dealing with and, and I can hand it around the table. There's just a, it just, it, it gives you more options. Right. Um, but now if I could, and just we're just talking about meetings for now, we're going to go to your next problem in a second. If we had a magic wand and it, it your iPad Pro shrunk to the size of an iPad Air, would that change? Do you think it would change your usability of it in a meeting?
1: I, that's what I'm very curious about. Um,
0: yeah. I think it yeah. would help.
1: I, I still love my mini from an everyday usage standpoint. But I think, and there are a lot of benefits to the iPad Pro. We haven't gotten to those yet. I think if I could get the benefits of the iPad Pro, I think I would be willing to compromise a little bit on the size.
0: I mean, one thing I'll give you is that um, like when I was on an iPad Air, I could, in portrait mode, I could type on that thing like a crazy man. You okay. know, I, I was very good. These are the two thumbs. And the iPad Pro size is just a little too big to really make that more that efficient. Right. Okay. So let's talk about your next issue though. Um, So uh,
1: my next issue was, was manipulating PDFs and I had some successes and some failures with that. Um, One of the things that was really a success was anytime I was doing annotations with the pencil, Uh, I really enjoyed the, the pencil, not so much for taking long form notes, like where I was writing out pages after page after notes, um, I have a lot of RSI issues that I've I've talked about, and I have always found taking notes by hand to be very fatiguing. Uh, you know, after I've written a couple of lines of text, I get very my hand gets fatigued very easily, and that's that's more of my own personal issue than it is with most people. So, and, and I found that issue to be worse on the iPad Pro than than with a normal pen and paper. I think a lot of that is because. I had to be very careful and use a lot more control because of the slippery screen with the iPad Pro. Um, but I, it was fine for you know just making quick notes or making corrections or making edits like on a PDF. Where it fell down a little bit, I think was kind of in the software, and that's something that will get better. Um, and I think it really depend on the depended on the developer and it depended on the software support because for some apps, you know, if I'm just reading and highlighting. You know, sometimes if you push and hold and then highlight text, it will it will highlight it. Um, But there's not necessarily that functionality built into the pencil. So I was finding myself having to constantly go back and forth with the toolbar to to switch between highlighting mode versus text mode. Um, Whereas even if I was just using my finger um, because of the pressure sensitivities, that's something that could be done a little different. So, yeah, I
0: think that stuff will kind of sort itself out. It but will. The, um,
1: yeah. So I think with the what? PDF manipulation, it was better, but could have been better. I think from a hardware perspective, it was better, but it could have been better if the software were better supported.
0: Yeah, I just I'll tell you, I I feel like I am such a boss when I'm doing PDF review on the iPad Pro. It's just so great. The pen, combination of the pencil, the ability to zoom up this, the text if something's really tiny. Um, the ability to zoom in and write handwritten notes with kind of a large screen. So, and then you can zoom back out and later it looks nice and clean. And then at the end of that process to just, uh, dual screen, um, it anywhere onto the screen and then go through the document and just dictate all of my comments following up from my review and send it off to a client with the annotated PDF with the handwritten stuff on the PDF. It, you know, that really changes my game. We started, and I know we're about out of time. We started this conversation talking about, you know, are you team? I that, that was a question on, on a podcast I was on with Jason. I said, are you team iPad or team Mac? And why can't you be team both? And, and for that, those types of tasks, the iPad pro is really a boss for me. It just, it's just great, but you know, it just depends. Everybody has to make their own decisions and, and all this stuff costs money. I get that. But it sounds to me like you may want to just return it. And then when Apple comes out with a smaller one, see if that's better for you.
1: Right. Well, the the other issue and kind of the last category that I was looking at is, could the iPad Pro someday be a laptop replacement for me? And surprisingly, I mean, this was the one that I expected to check all of the boxes. No, but surprisingly, this was the area where I found myself saying, you know what, for most of what I do, It really could be Um, because this is where number one, the larger size of the screen helped specifically having two things split view. I could have, uh, you know, Twitter open on a pane and a website open on a pane. But what I did is for several days, I took the iPad Pro only to school um, with a Bluetooth external keyboard because I just couldn't get used to the the on-screen keyboard. I did not buy the smart case, by the way, or smart cover, whatever. The one with the keyboard built in did not get that um and the iPad plus the bluetooth external keyboard was fine um 95% of what i'm doing in class is i typically will have a pdf open on one screen either with the text or with notes that the professor has has put up for us um and i will have either omni outliner or a word processor or some kind of text editor open on the screen and when I'm using my Mac, you know, that's very easy to do. You just have multiple screens open. Um, on the iPad, you can do that now, you know, assuming the app supports split screen. And I would say on the iPad, it was um, in many ways a little bit better experience. Um, Word's great on the iPad, and it it kept me more focused. It kept me from, let me just pop over and see what's going on in mail. Let me just pop over and see what's going on in, in Twitter. Um, So that was a nice experience. Now, obviously you can't use the iPad for recording a podcast. Um, The iPad's a little more limited in things that you could do, but the combination of having the bigger screen and split screen support uh, was huge. And do Uh, I think also
0: the iPad pro is just an improvement over the screen of your MacBook air. I mean, it's just a better screen.
1: It definitely is. I found that I I wasn't squinting and and leaning towards the screen so much. And, And that could have been part of the issue too. Um, so, uh, yes, I think that for many, many things that I do on my laptop and not sitting here at my desk, like recording a podcast, I, I think an iPad Pro would be an adequate laptop replacement for me. I worry a little bit about, you know, taking it to conferences and giving presentations off of it and things like that. But I, I know you can. You wrote, you wrote a book on it, David. You know that you can use the iPad um, to give presentations where I ran into pain points with it was really where I ran into pain points with iOS 9 um, or where I ran into pain points with developers having not updated their apps. I mean, my goodness, Google, please. Why yeah. why are your apps not updated for, for the iPad Pro? Every time I ran into an app that didn't have iPad Pro support um, with their keyboard, it just made me want to shut down and not use the app. Um, every time I ran into an app that didn't have split pane support, it made me not want to use it. Um, and then there's gotta be a better mechanism for that app switcher. These are problems that will be fixed over time or we'll we'll just find other apps.
0: And to pile on. I would add the other thing that the iPad or just iOS in general is poor at is uh, bulk operation. Like if you want to move multiple files, it's not easy. It usually, everything is about doing one at a time Whereas as a Mac, you can select a bunch of things and make things happen. And that's, that's one place where I always feel pain when I'm using an iOS device. I hope they, uh, I hope someone at Apple is, is feeling the same pain and trying to, to get that updated. I, I get the feeling that they really do want to make iOS on the iPad more powerful. And, um, and let's, let's see what happens in a couple months when we get the you know iOS 10. Yeah. Um, well, Katie?
1: And then, you know, of course, we've got this rumor of this new, smaller iPad Air size, iPad Pro coming out. And, and so I'm curious to see what that's going to bring. I, I will still tell you the mini is the love of my iPad life. Um, I love that many so much, but do I think that if I could, would would maybe a nine point seven inch iPad Pro be a compromise if I could use the pencil and if split screen wasn't quite as big, but it would still be okay? M- maybe, maybe that's the sweet spot for me. So, if you had to ask me for a verdict today, right now, I, I think what I'm going to do is I think I'm going to return it and see what happens with that nine point seven inch device because at yeah. the time i i bought it there were rumors of that out there but maybe not quite as hot and heavy as there are now
0: yeah and and as uninterested as you were in the ipad pro i am in a smaller size ipad pro i i like the big size i i just like the whole thing i i do type on screen i mean it's just this has been a really good fit for me this this uh i'll call it a computer <laughs> that's right. basically what it is right. anyway well we, we made it through another live show yeah and Thank you to our sponsors, Fujitsu, 1Password, Igloo, Ministry of Supply. Thank you for Dan for coming in and talking about saving battery life. Um, And we will see you all next week.